you would turn to the passage this morning from Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. This is the passage I'll read aloud, and then we will read together the, the verses, the two verses that we've been memorizing. And I think we've got one more week in Romans 1, memorizing 16 and 17, and soon we'll be transitioning to a new passage. You can find it on those bookmarks if you're trying to memorize together with us. It's a great opportunity to have that formative experience, uh, letting the Word of God dwell richly in you. So let me ask you if you're able to please stand. And I will read from Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And now let's read together Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Read with me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Amen. Please be seated. Join me in a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we ask this morning as we look at this passage that you would be with us. We confess, Lord God, this is a hard, increasingly complicated text Not because the words are not plain, but because of movements in our society and the things that are happening around us. We ask, Lord God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you by your Spirit would work among your people to sanctify us. We thank you, we thank you especially for your Son, Christ Jesus, and we ask that this movement and work through the book of Romans would be one that makes us to love you more deeply to hate our sin more passionately, and to cling to Jesus Christ as he's offered in the gospel, our only hope of salvation. It's in his name we ask all of these things. Amen. I'll have to say, I I think that I'm probably like many of you in that I like to rip the Band-Aid right off, okay? Take some take a scab with it or some hair along with it. I'd rather do that than slowly pull the Band-Aid off. I prefer to hear the good news before I hear the bad news, uh, the bad news before I hear the good news. And when I eat Lucky Charms, I like to eat the wheat oat pieces first so I can enjoy all the marshmallows at the end, okay? And I'm telling you that this morning because I want you to know I would much rather speak about things that are true 
and hard, then I would rather be comfortable. And you'll have to forgive me this morning if I simply jump right into the context of the passage and talk about the issues at hand. This passage speaks about homosexuality, okay? The issue is present in the text. The question is not whether Paul is speaking about the issue. The question is why he speaks about it. I'm not sure if you asked that question as we read the passage, but it seemed as if Paul was moving on this very general argument for all of humanity, and then he immediately transitioned into a subject which seems slightly disconnected with the whole argument that he's making. So this morning, as we look at this passage, we're going to see how these details connect so that Paul can speak about this very specific issue and what that has to do with the overarching argument that all men stand under condemnation and the wrath of God. So that's the thing that we will be dealing with this morning. Now listen, I want to remind you of a few items that have kind of brought us to this point. We have been talking in Romans chapter 1 about this slope or this descent ultimately leading towards death and hell, that Romans chapter 1 is moving us towards, and the Apostle Paul is building a methodical, detail, and specific-oriented argument that is helping to explain the predicament of humanity and why all human beings are descending towards death. He's essentially answering this question. When people are presented with the facts around them and they say, I observe in all nature, I observe around me or I observe within me that something is not right, that there's a brokenness, that things are not the way that they were designed to be. When we observe that, the Apostle Paul is saying, I will tell you why things are the way that they are. And if you remember last week, we have this sustained argument that began in chapter 1, verse 18. And it began with God. The Apostle Paul said, what can be known about God is plain to them. And so I've written God plainly on the board. Okay? What can be known about God is plain to them. But he said what happens, not only in a macro way in the course of peoples in all times, but also in a micro way in each person's heart throughout all of time, that though God is plain to them, you remember the word phano, that he is illumined to them, that he's obvious to them. Though God is plain to them, they suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. And we talked about that last week. That means to hold down the truth, to hold it away, to act as if it's not there, to cover it over, to try and ignore it at, at all means necessary, okay? That all men, though they see God, they suppress the truth, and then the Apostle Paul said, this leads to darkened hearts, okay? That's my darkened heart. And that is really the poetic way of saying what he adds in two other phrases. They had futility of mind, claiming to be wise, they were actually fools, okay? So there is a way in which God being plain, suppressing the truth of God, leads to a cognitive and heart problem where all human beings don't see the world as they ought to. Their hearts are darkened, their minds are futile, they become fools. And he said... In their foolishness, they become idol worshipers. So the foolishness of the heart leads to idolatry. 
This is where Paul left off last week. The progression is very simple. God is plain. Men suppress the truth. Their hearts are darkened. That leads to idolatry. That is, they worship the creature rather than the creator. And we know that. Calvin would say we all know that we're, we are idol factories, that there are things that we are grabbing in all of creation to worship. Family, career, success, sports, money. You just name the idols. You can point them out in all of society. But you see the process of descending towards death and destruction, the process doesn't end there. As a matter of fact, you know, get ready for the next few months. We're going to keep filling out this downward slope, and it just gets longer and longer and longer. But you read in the passage this morning, verse 24, begins with the word, therefore. It's the Greek word dia. It means consequently. It's a word that's used to say, we're not going to a different idea. This isn't a contrary thought. It's not a new one. This is actually an idea that is a continuation. We are continuing. It means consequently. And so this morning, as we open verse 24, we see a, now a progression down the slope. Paul's going to use this phrase to describe what's being described in verses 24 through 27. He says, as Wynne rightly pointed out, he says, God gave them up. God gave them up. It's the phrase that's, that's going to be, it appears once in verse 24, once in verse 26, it appears again in verse 28, we'll see it next week. It's the phrase that's now going to be used to describe the next step in the descent towards death and destruction that God gave them up. We saw it in Psalm 81, we see it again here in Romans chapter 1. So this morning, here's the conversation. What does that phrase mean? Okay. What does God give men up to or over to? And then what is the result of God giving human beings over to whatever he gives them over to? Okay? Meaning what he gives them to and what is the result. First of all, let's talk about the meaning. Let me suggest to you this morning, I believe that as the Roman church was hearing this letter read aloud in their midst that all of the Jewish Christians who had any background in Judaism that this was maybe one of the first moments in Paul's epistle where they said, oh, I've heard that before, okay? This is one of the first phrases that the Apostle Paul uses that clearly connects to Old Testament imagery which would have been prominent in the thinking of the Jewish believers. This is a phrase that we find all over the pages of the Old Testament Scriptures, okay? It's the phrase that's always used when God takes a people and He hands them over to destruction, so we can think, when the Israelites are entering the land of Canaan, we have people group after people group, the Amalekites, the Midianites, the folks of Jericho, and they're described as being handed over or given over or given up to the Israelites to be devoted to destruction. Same exact phrase that will be used later to describe the Israelites. God gave them up to or gave them over to the Babylonians and to the Assyrians. It was a sign of God's judgment on his people, handing them over for destruction. It's actually, interestingly, the same word or phrase that the Apostle Paul uses later in Romans 8. I don't know if you've thought about this, but it's beautiful. It says that God will give us all good things. How do we know that? For he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us also. How will he not also give us all good things? Okay? 
That's the same phrase that comes out of the Old Testament Scriptures that's being used now that means to hand over for destruction. God gave up His Son for destruction on our behalf. That's the phrase that appears in Romans chapter 1 this morning. So as we think about God giving up people, what we're reading is some sort of a connotation of God handing over people for destruction or demise or for some bad thing as the context dictates according to the way this phrase is often used. Now let me tell you something. Many of the good commentators, they will point out that the verb, the verb is perodidomai, perodidomai, which is para, up, didomai, to give, to give up, but the verb is an active verb, it's not passive. And the argument has often been made that God's giving up in Scripture is really a very passive thing where He says, okay, I'm just going to leave you, and I'm going to let you decide, good or bad, you choose, okay? But that's not the phrase that's being used here. It is, as we read and we understand the context, it is a phrase that is indicating to us that God is active and intentional in the giving over. One commentator said it like this, it's like the it's like the, the jailer who has prisoners in a jail and he knows that they're under condemnation and he's saying, all right, the time has come. Now I give you to your just sentence. I hand you over. I have determined that this is the moment where I'm giving you to the condemnation that you deserve. And so as we read about this descent that is happening in all humanity and in every human heart, we realize that the suppression of truth and the darkening of hearts and the idolatry of the heart eventually leads to a moment where God gives over people to some negative outcome or consequence. So that's the second point. What is it that that God gives people over to? Does He hand them over to a destruction like at the hands of the Babylonians and the Assyrians or What exactly is Paul describing here that these people are being handed over to? Well, listen, the answers are, I'm just going to draw it right here. The answers can be found in verse 24 and in verse 26, okay? We see three things in this passage that it says that God handed them over to. First of all, in verse 24, it says that he hands them over to the lust of their heart, okay? You can read it there in verse 24. God gave them up to the lust of their heart. The phrase actually means to the deepest desires of their hearts, to the things that they really, really, really wanted, that they yearned after. Second, it says in verse 24 that he gave them, he gave them up to do, uh, uh, to do dishonorable, dishonorable things among themselves, okay, with their bodies. You read it there in verse 24. Gave them up to do dishonorable things. That is the Greek word aktharsin. Uh, which, which means to do immoral things. So you think of immorality. And then finally in verse 26, third time, God gave them up, and it says he gave them up to dishonorable passions. Okay? Dishonorable passions. I, like, I think the word dishonorable is a little weak. A better translation, I think, is, uh, I've seen it in some translations, disgusting. Okay? Uh, grotesque, inappropriate, vile, Right, that's, the, that's the connotation of the phrase that's being used here. God gave them over to do things that ought not to be mentioned. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to see before we talk about the specifics. This is the first mention in this list in Romans chapter 1 of a descent towards destruction. This is really the first mention of things that deal with morality. Okay? 
I mean, we've talked about belief and suppressing, you know, truth and foolishness in the heart and idolatry, but this is now, we're going down this slippery slope, and now we've come to the, the question of, of moral issues. And you see the, 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 the pathway that is being painted by the Apostle Paul goes like this, okay? It begins with apostasy. And apostasy is believing wrong things about God, isn't it? Okay, so it begins with belief. Apostasy leads to foolishness. Foolishness leads to idolatry. And idolatry leads to perversion. Okay, and the Apostle Paul would say that when you in your own heart experience this immoral perversion or you see it in a society, what you're seeing is the visible descent from apostasy to foolishness to idolatry that leads to perversion, right? This is the next iteration of the descent down the slope. Now, as you see, the Apostle Paul then moves on to giving an example of moral perversion, and he speaks about it in verses 26 and 27. Let me just read it to you, and then we can talk about it. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And then the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves their due penalty for their error. Let me just say something. You might be wondering, okay, what, what place does this phrase have in this slope, this descent that's true of all humanity? I want to tell you, this is, this is an example. Paul is giving an example of what it looks like, as he just described in verse 24 through 26, to suppress the truth, to have foolishness of heart and a heart darkened, to move to idolatry, and then to give yourself in, in immorality. He gives an example in verses 26 through 27. Now, as I said at the introduction to this sermon, the issue at hand that Paul is dealing with is the issue of homosexuality, Okay? And I'll give you four important reasons from these verses why, why that's the case, and then we'll talk about it, all right? First of all, he begins by using the Greek word, I'll write it here, he begins by using the Greek word physis, okay, physis, which is what we get our English physiology or physics. He says there in verse 26 that the women gave up physis, that is what is natural, occurs in nature. It really has nothing to do with what is divine, it has everything to do with what occurs in nature, what is, what is natural according to the creation. So Paul's describing an example here of something that is being done, a relational thing that is being done, that when you observe the animal kingdom and you observe nature is contrary to the things that you see in nature. It is the opposite of it. It is, it is not consonant with an observation from nature. The second observation from this passage is that Paul uses the two scientific phrases for male and female, not the common phrases, not like man and woman. He uses male and female. That's why it's translated here, male and female, okay? He uses those two scientific phrases because these words connect us. It draws our attention all the way back to creation, Genesis 1. God made them male and female. He made them in his image. He made them male and female. Those are the words that are used in the Hebrew, brought right back up into the Greek here that Paul is making an argument about the things that he observes in the perversion of society that draws our attention to the created order and says not only in creation, but in the way that God has made things, this is not right. Okay, it is not, it, it is not consonant with nature. It is not consonant with the word of God. 
third observation, as you look at the passage, again, verse 27 it says there, and, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women, and they were consumed with passion for one another. The actual little, literal rendering of this verse says this, that men began to find no use for women, but they were inflamed or engrossed with passion for other men. Okay, that is, it's probably a little bit more detailed than you wanted, but it's very specific, and it speaks to a very specific type of sin. And then finally, as you get to the end of verse 27, it says, men committing shameless acts with men. Now, if you haven't been convinced by the argument thus far, here's what Paul does. He lifts a phrase right out of Leviticus. If you went back to the Levitical law in chapter 18 and chapter 20, you would see the phrase that, that Moses uses to describe homosexuality is the same phrase now that the apostle Paul uses that men committed indecent acts with other men. So Paul is making it clear to us that the example that he is giving is one, is the, is one of homosexuality. All right, now, now here's the thing. A few things I want to talk about, I think, is the issue is now being brought to the forefront from Romans chapter 1. First of all, this is an example, okay? It's not meant to be a vital part of the descent down the slope, but rather an example of one of the ways that God gives people up to the desires of their heart. It is an example of the immorality described in 24 and 26 on the trajectory of humankind moving towards death and destruction. And as we think about this as an example, I think it's pertinent because the world would say something very different concerning the Word of God. Here's what the world would say, two possible scenarios. Either the world would say the Bible is wrong, and we discount that. We say the Bible is the Word of God, as Wynn mentioned, inerrant, infallible, profitable for men and women of God. Okay, so that's not a good argument. The other argument that's now out there is this. The church has misunderstood the Bible for 2,000 years, okay? For 2,000 years, the church has misunderstood the Bible. It's a wrong reading of Scripture and now we've been enlightened as to what the Bible says. But let me tell you something. If you, if you believe you can read the Bible with integrity and not find homosexuality condemned as sin, then there's a lot of things you can get the Bible to say. Okay? You read Moses, and you read the Pentateuch, and you read Leviticus, chapter 18, chapter 20. You read the things that were happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. You read the condemnation of the uh, sexual perversion in Old Testament Scripture. You read 1 Timothy, chapter 2, and 1 Corinthians, chapter 6. And in those passages, there's a list of things that will keep people from entering the kingdom of God, and, and homosexuality is on the list, okay? You read the passages of Scripture, and you cannot deny that this lifestyle and behavior is condemned by God as sinful and part of, uh, apart from his created order, as contrary to the law of God. And let me tell you something, that the world is looking to normalize this. I, I think it, we have to speak about it, right? The, the world is looking to normalize it. And sadly, Christians in churches have also begun to normalize it, right? Because we want peace with our families and we want peace with our society and we want peace with our own sin. And so we, we try to find a way in which we can explain this type of lifestyle because it's so prevalent and prominent within our society. How do we justify it and read the Word of God in a different way? But let me tell you something. If you will not conform your desires to the truth, you will conform the truth to your desire. It's a, it is the indicative 
obvious statement, like the mantra of the society that we live in. If you will not conform your desires to the truth, you will conform the truth to your desire. What I mean by that is very simple. You, you may feel a certain way. You may have certain inclinations of the heart. You may say, I think I was even born this way. This is who I am, okay? And what you will do is, if you will not conform those desires to the truth of the word of God, you will conform the truth to your desires. And you will find a version of the truth which satisfies you, which fits your lifestyle, which fits the way you think things ought to be. But it is not the genuine, actual, real truth of God. Listen, if, if you're confused about this, you're going to misunderstand Paul's explanation of the descent towards destruction and death and hopelessness, right? If, you, if you're going to look at this list and if you're going to take one of these items and you're going to take it out and you say, okay, well, that's not as bad as Paul says it is, or that's not just another item in this list that moves us in the wrong direction away from God, then you're going to misunderstand the book of Romans. And you won't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ if you don't see that the wrath of God is being revealed against all, all unrighteousness and ungodliness. And we suppress these things in our unrighteousness. Now let me ask you another question. Again, the same question I asked at the beginning. Why would Paul highlight this particular sin? Why would he mention it here? I don't know if, you, if, you, if it stood out as peculiar to you. It probably should have. I mean, we were reading about the, the universal argument of the suppression of truth and the, and the reality of the living God and how he can be observed in all of creation. And then we move into a question of sexuality. And then he's going to move almost as quickly as he moved into it. He's going to move out of it. Why does Paul bring it up here? Many people have made the argument that this is another example of the contextualization of Scripture, that there's, Paul is giving a contextual argument. He was homophobic, and so he just had to mention it here, but, but it really is not part of the grand argument. And so we just kind of we remove this part as a lapse in judgment of the Apostle Paul, where you know, poor Paul couldn't get over the issue. He had, to make, he had to put it here, but we take it out, and then we have a good argument from Romans chapter 1. But that's not the case. You see, I, I think to answer that question, we have to move into the third point this morning. What's, what is the result of God handing them over? Okay, so God hands over people, and he hands them over to their own devices. He hands them over to their own sin. He, he gives them to the lusts of their heart, to dishonoring their own bodies, to disgusting passions. He, he hands them over to these things, And then we read in verse 27, this is what we read. In verse 27, it says that they received in themselves the due penalty. Okay? Now listen, we're going to talk about that as well. I think the due penalty connects us all the way back to the beginning in verse 18, where it says the wrath of God is being revealed. I think these two things are very much the same idea. The wrath of God, the due penalty received, Uh, All of this is the wrath of God. Now, here's what I want you to know. We didn't talk about this last week. It's really important. The wrath of God in verse 18 is written in the present tense, which is actually really strange, okay? Because you might read it as if it's written in the future tense, like one day the wrath of God is going to be revealed against all unrighteousness. But the text actually says 
the wrath of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. Is presently, at this moment, it is being revealed. So let me ask you a question. How are people receiving due penalty? How is the wrath of God presently being revealed? When you look around you, how can you observe it? Where do you see the wrath of God being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness? Most often when people think about the wrath of God being revealed, they tend to think of natural disasters. I don't know why. And the first natural disaster that always comes to mind is a tsunami. It's like tsunami, that's God, that is God's wrath, tsunami. I don't know why we don't think of hurricanes or tornadoes, or, but we think of tsunamis, okay? Um, sometime, and, and listen, in Old Testament Scripture, God uses natural things to bring condemnation or wrath. Sometimes that's true. Some people tend to think of uh, sickness and disease, right, as the manifestation, present manifestation of the wrath of God. So you've probably heard it said, you've probably heard people talk about this. Verse 27 is about HIV and AIDS, right? That's the due penalty for perversion, and while I do believe that there are natural consequences in creation for sin, like sickness, I, I don't believe that's what Paul's speaking about, okay? I believe that Paul has in mind here something very different when he speaks about the revealing of the wrath of God presently and the due penalty that is received. And let me just put it like this. I believe if we're reading Romans 1 rightly, that the revealing of the wrath of God is actually simply God giving sinners over to more sin. That the judgment and the justice of God is being manifest when God says, you want it, you can have it. And you can have more of it, and more of it, and more of it, and more of it. One author said that sin follows sin as an avenger. Sin follows sin as an avenger. C.S. Lewis said it like this, the doors to hell are locked from the inside. The doors to hell are locked from the inside. That the present judgment for sin is sin itself. More sin, greater sin, deeper sin. You want it, you can have it. I often think of this when I think, you know, we have conversations about abortion and abortion uh, in our culture. And, And many Christians will say, man, if you look at how long and how pervasive abortion has been in the culture, one day soon God is going to judge us. And when they say that, they mean, well, we're going you know, to go to war and be conquered by another nation, or we're going to have some gigantic natural disaster. That may be the case, but let me tell you something. It is also true that the wrath of God is presently being revealed against the people. How is it so? Well, God is allowing us to kill our children. Right? No society in all of history can perpetuate under those circumstances. No animal in all of the animal kingdom can survive if it kills its own children. The judgment of God and the wrath of God is being made manifest in that God is allowing people to have their own sin. And the consequences of sin and all of the terrible baggage that comes with sin, God is saying, you want it, you can have it. That is the present revelation of the wrath of God on a culture and on a people, and we're witnessing it before our very eyes. We see it every day in our society and our culture. So again, one more time, why does Paul bring up the issue of homosexuality? Here's what I think it is, and I think this is really important, it's relevant. Paul is describing this descent of all of humanity. 
in suppressing the truth and having hearts darkened that leads to idolatry and finally God giving them over. And he's describing a scenario in which human beings perpetually spinning quicker and quicker towards destruction and each movement of this descent comes with more confusion and it comes with more darkened heart and it comes with with a turning of the world upside down. And I tell you this morning, I believe Paul gives us this example because it's one of the foremost examples of a world turned upside down. That the example that he gives of the perversion described in 26 and 27 is the epitome of everything is wrong and yet everyone is saying everything is right. Right, because even nature says this is wrong and yet people are celebrating the wrongness as if it was right. Listen to what John Murray said. John Murray put it like this. Paul's stress falls upon the unnatural character of the vice. The implication is however grievous is fornication, however green, grievous is adultery, that it is un, uh, sorry, that the desecration of homosexuality is on a lower plane of degeneracy. It is unnatural and therefore it evinces a perversion even more basic. Or as Chris Ostom put it, when God abandons a people to their devices, everything is turned upside down. And homosexuality is the epitome of a world that is turned upside down. Now let me ask you a question then. What does it mean for us that this is so prominent in our society? What does it mean for us that this type of lifestyle is celebrated in the society that we live in? What does it mean for us that we find these things not only on the movies that we watch, but in the cartoons that are on television? What does it mean for us that our children are being indoctrinated with this type of thinking, that this is good and acceptable and and profitable? What does it mean for our society? And what does it mean for the church that a thing that has been agreed upon for 2,000 years is now in question in the church of Jesus Christ? What does it mean for us? It, It means that we're seeing these things manifest before our very eyes. It means that the wrath of God is presently being revealed against our culture and our communities and our neighbors. It it means that though the word of God stands forever, that there's a prominent and prevalent movement within our society moving in this direction for which the church must proclaim repent and believe. Repent and believe. For the direction you're heading leads to death and destruction and chaos and there is no hope apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you this. If you struggle with homosexuality, let me just tell you. What I'm not saying to you is that your sin is any worse than anyone else's sin. For all sin is deserving of death and condemnation and the wrath of God. What I am saying is that the Apostle Paul is using it as an example of a disordered society that has suppressed the truth of God, had their hearts darkened, given themselves to idolatry, has now moved into the perversion that is being described here and is calling those things right that are wrong and calling wrong things right. This is the Apostle Paul's example of that very thing this morning. Listen, where is Paul going? The Apostle Paul is painting a picture of what I want to call the slippery slope of hopelessness. This is what Romans 1, 2, and 3 is all about. 
And as I told you, the slope looks full, but we're going to continue moving down. Okay? Next week, this is where we're going. And, and listen, all along the way, the inclination of the human heart is to say either this is wrong or to say, oh, it's not that bad. Okay? It's not that bad. And when we get next week to this whole list of things, you're going to say, well, look, there's gossip. I'm pretty good with my tongue. I don't gossip. Maybe I can work my way up this hill back to God. I call it the slippery slope because here's what I want you to envision. I want you to envision a bunch of people trying to walk up the slope and they slip and they fall on their face and they slide back down the hill. Okay? This is the picture that Paul's painting for us. We're going deeper and deeper and descending. And we are meant to say, as we read the word of God, we are meant to say, oh no, that's hopeless. There's nothing we can do. Right? We, we can't change that. We can't amend that. If we think we can overcome this, there's a thousand other this is. A thousand other objects that Paul will reveal. And, and as we move up this, we'll say, okay, well, idolatry of the heart. I don't know how to fix that. And, and the darkness of my heart and suppressing the truth and the futility of mine and the foolishness that is implicit and the things that are constantly happening as we descend in this chaos and the brokenness of the world and, and the things that are going on in my heart. There is no hope in that. That's where you're supposed to be when you get to Romans chapter 3. And the apostle Paul says, for there is no one righteous. No, not one. All are under the wrath of God, for it's being revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. And that is preparing us for the hope of the gospel. For all men and women, no matter what their sin or their disposition or their behavior or their lifestyle, for all men and women, the grace of God is being revealed and the Spirit of God is at work to change hearts given to sin, worshiping the created things to change those hearts and to move them to worship the living God that they might be conformed to His righteousness. Listen, I want to end this morning with just a short story and then we'll be done. A A long time ago, I was sitting in a coffee shop, I was working on uh, my sermon, and I noticed a few tables away there was these two people, and they were speaking, but they were speaking really loud, kind of animated and passionate. And, uh, and I realized, as everyone in the restaurant could hear the conversation, I realized that it was a man who was a member of a church and his pastor. And this man was trying to communicate to his pastor, he was really trying to communicate to him that he was not a Christian, but the conversation wasn't going well. Okay, so the pastor asked him why he hadn't been coming to church, and, and he told him, listen, I, I just don't want to come to church. I have no interest. Um, I, I find better things to do with my time, really not interested. And, and all along the way, this man is making the argument, and the pastor conti- is continuing to try to give the man excuses. Like, listen, you're just in a season of life, okay? Um, but just stick with it. Come to church. You love the Lord Jesus. I know you do. You know, say, you, say you don't, Okay. And this man kept saying, like, no, you don't get it, Pastor. I'm telling you. And then eventually, the the final straw was like, no, listen to me. Listen to me. I'm telling you. I don't desire the things of God. I love my sin. I love to party. I love women. I love alcohol. I love drugs. And God may be real. He may not be. But I don't care. And I kind of cringed at that moment because this pastor said, no, 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 wait, wait. You helped with VBS. <laughs> you were involved in the men's ministry. You're a Christian. I know you're a Christian. And this man kind of like exasperated just gave up on the conversation. I so badly wanted to go over to the table and say, listen, I don't know you, but I want to tell you something. 
The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, and men like you suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And your heart is darkened, and your mind is futile, and then you're given to idolatry, and those are the things in this world that you serve, like parties and women and alcohol. And if you serve them long enough, God will give you over. And when he gives you over to those things, everything is upside down, and you will begin to think that the things of this world is all that there is, and they're good, and you will love them, and you will want them. And it may be good that you help with VBS, and it may be good that you're involved with the men's ministry, but frankly, those things don't matter according to the wrath of God. The message for you is very simple. Repent and believe. Repent from your sin and believe in the Lord God and you will be saved. But as it stands right now, you don't appear to be saved. Your heart hasn't been transformed. You don't love the things of God. Listen to me, I just want to tell you this very simply. Sometimes we're not too clear on the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we avoid saying the hard things. But the message is very simple. For the altruistic neighbor who loves other people and wants only to do good but hasn't yielded their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the message is very simple. Repent and believe. For the person who's stuck in their perversion, in their sexual sin or some other kind of gross perversion of the created order and the law of God, the message is very simple. Repent and believe. For all men everywhere and women everywhere and for children who stand under the condemnation and wrath of the living God, for all who have not submitted themselves and yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ, in whatever point in the process they are, suppressing the truth, having heart darkened, uh, the idolatry of, of worshiping the created rather than the creator, God giving them up to the lust of their heart, for wherever they are and wherever they see themselves, the message is the same, repent and believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the power of God to save sinners who are condemned and under the wrath and are inevitably moving towards death, hell, and destruction, if not by the grace of God, which is received by faith. So repent and believe. It's a very simple message. It's only a few words. You ought to practice it. You have neighbors and family members, and people that you encounter every day that need to hear the message, repent and believe. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, and we thank you, O Lord God, that you have not left us to your own devices. And we pray, Father, that you would show us our desperate need for you. We know that apart from the work of your spirit, we are here on this slope descending towards destruction. And we can't move back up that hill. There is no hope of doing what is right and of moving towards God and of trusting in him and of receiving him for salvation if your spirit does not work in us. And so we ask, Father, that you would be powerfully at work in and among us, and would you give us the words to say. Help us not to shy away. Help us not to be quiet when we ought to speak. Help us, Lord God, not to care about our own identity, our own infamy. Help us not to care about what the world thinks about us, but may we be concerned with and care for 
your glory and your word and your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord God, would you build your kingdom as you continue to proclaim your word and take dead people and make them alive. We love you and we thank you. It's in your name we ask all of this. Amen.